It's certainly an honor to stand before you. I feel a little bit uncomfortable in dealing with uh, mothers because there's probably nobody. There's probably two people in my life, probably maybe four, who are mothers and grandmothers and my wife that have had the most impact on my life. Really the unsung hero, I guess. And uh, it's difficult to talk about what it really means to be the kind of mother that God wants. And you know, on the television, in society, people have made a mockery of marriage. And uh, God originally designed marriage for the greatest amount of happiness while we live in this world. However, unfortunately, it's not always happy in the home. And because of that, people often grow up with a deluded vision of what the home should be. And so, even though it is difficult for me to talk about family life and realizing that I'm not always the example I need to be or always the kind of person I ought to be, while it's difficult, I realize how necessary it is and how important it is to continually put before the people the principles that we have in the Bible. Because whatever's in the world affects the church. You know, the church, first of all, is supposed to be a place where people can come and change. And so sometimes we bring people from the world into the church, and it's sort of like God taking Israel out of Egypt. You know, God took Egypt, or took Israel, out of Egypt in one night. But it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. You see, Moses and the children of Israel left that place in one night, but 40 years later they finally had enough Egypt out of their lives that they entered the land of promise. And so in the church sometimes there are things that shouldn't be. And so it's important for us to look at the true standard for everything in our lives. And the true standard for everything in our lives is found in the Bible. It's found in the Word of God. And so in the scripture, we have an example of a mom, a maximum mom, a mom that every child needs by the name of Hannah. And there are five characteristics that we want to look at this evening. Now, we can't exhaust everything that might be said about Hannah. In fact, time will not permit us, and I don't have the ability even to talk about everything that could be said. But there are five characteristics that I want us to concentrate on tonight and see if we can glean from those five characteristics a better portrait of what a godly mom is and what every child needs in a mother. Number one, principle number one. Every child needs a mother whose commitment takes priority, whose commitment to her family takes priority over her comfort in the family. 
How many times have you heard about somebody who said, I'm out of here. I've had all I can take. I'm going to go somewhere where it's better. I'll never forget little Jessica. My, the years have gone by. It's been probably 25 years. Well, not, not 25 years, 20 years since she first came to our home. And one day, though she was a very well-mannered and well-tempered little girl, she's in kindergarten. One day she was very upset. And just at the drop of a hat, she would start shedding tears and crying. And I took her up in my nap, or lap, and I said, Jessica, what's wrong? And she broke down crying. She said, I want my mama to love me. I want my mama to love me. Her mama had deserted her a few years previous. And that particular day, her mama had had her for a few hours, and she dropped her off at our home. But she lived with her daddy. She needed, she wanted, and she desired her mama's love. I want to tell you something. Loving your family, loving and taking care of your family, being the kind of person who is committed to your family, even in spite of the fact that sometimes you're going to be out of your comfort zone is the number one principle I want you to see in the life of Hannah. In spite of her circumstance, in spite of her environment, her family was first. Her family was beyond her comfort zone. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. And her rival, talking about the other woman. You see, during this period of Bible history, a man would often take a second wife. Now, the reason he would take a second wife was not necessarily because he did not love his first wife, but because she was barren. She couldn't have children, and so he would take another wife so that he could have children. Now, there's several reasons for that, but we need to understand that there was a there was a special shame placed upon a person who could not bear children. And any father who did not have children was in danger because the family inheritance was to be passed down through the son. And if you didn't have a son, you didn't have anything. Well, today we live in a different kind of world. In fact, uh, Chuck Swindoll, I don't necessarily agree with much Chuck Swindoll says, but I thought this was a pretty good comment that I read in one of his family books one time. He said, we live in a day and time when we have two kinds of families. He said, we have oink and dink. He said, one income, no kids. Double income, no kids. Now, I don't understand why a family would choose not to have children. That doesn't make sense to me. Now, some situations, sometimes in this life, we can't have children, maybe, for some reason. I don't understand that either. I don't know why that is. And I want to tell you right up front, right now, that I see sometimes people who are able to conceive who do not need the children, and I see other people who can't conceive who want and would be wonderful parents. And I don't have all the answers about that. And I'm going to tell you something else. There are some situations, there are some people who can pray from now until doomsday and they'll never have any children. Now I've heard people talk about Hannah 
and tell people the reason they don't have children, not praying hard enough, that's, a, that's hogwash. That's garbage. God's the only one that has that answer. We don't have revelation today, and so we don't know why things happen sometimes like they happen. But now listen, it don't mean God closed up your womb if you can't have a child either. In fact, anything that's evil in your life is caused by the devil. It's not God. And if you be faithful to him, then someday you can talk to him about your problem and he'll give you the answers because he's got them all. <laughs> I don't have all the answers, but he does. Now, Hannah wanted more than she wanted her own life to have a son. She wanted a son to pass the family name through. She wanted a son so that the inheritance could be given to that son. That's why they had the Leverite law where if a man died, then his younger brother was to take, or one of his brothers was to take his wife and bear seed to the brother who has died. That's why that Leverite law was initiated. So that, so that the son could be born because if, if, a, if a brother took his brother's wife who had died and he bore a, a son by that woman, it, the seed or the son that he had was not his but his brother's by God's law. And the family inheritance would be, would be passed down and retained by that son. You know, we don't realize how imperative it was in Hebrew society to have children. We're so far removed from the attitude that God's people had then about family life and children. We have families who are oink and dink, sometimes even in the church. Now listen to me, folks. If you don't want children, then don't have them. But if you're using some selfish reason not to have your children, you better reassess your attitude. You better reassess your life because God intended for families to have children. Well, Hannah was in a very bad situation, but she retains her faith. Now think about this. In fact, I wonder if it had been a modern scene, if you wouldn't have heard Hannah say, I'm out of here. She's living in the environment. In fact, she's changing diapers of the babies from the other woman. The Bible says that the other woman was a rival to her. What's meant by that? The point is that other woman kept rubbing it in her face. You may be the favorite of Elkanah. You might be the first wife, but I'm the one that's got the children. The Bible says she provoked her severely. Hannah's life is miserable. Hannah's life is provoked. Her life is tormented. Listen, friends. So it was. What did Hannah do? So it was. Year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Now, she's miserable. There's no doubt about it. But she keeps doing what she knows is right. Now, I mentioned this last night. Sometimes when I've talked to people and they're having marriage problems and they've separated, 
They say, I'm not happy. Well, my reply to that is, so what? When you marry, you've got responsibilities to that relationship. And if you're not happy every day, in fact, you can't live on emotions, and happiness is an emotion. It's a state of mind. And you can't live up at cloud nine every day of the week. Now listen to me, folks. I know my sermon's not on marriage, but it's connected. This idea that there's some special person out there designed and made just for you is a lie from hell. That is hogwash. Now, you can get married. But you need to remember that no matter who you marry, the only original match was Adam and Eve. When you get married, in order for it to become the kind of marriage it ought to be, it takes a lot of work. And it can't be one-sided. This idea that young girls sometimes think that they can go out here and get some drunken sot for a husband and change him is foolish. If he's a drunkard before you marry him, he's probably going to be a drunkard after you're married to him for 50 years. Now, you know what happens when you make it work? You have storms. You have problems. You have difficulties. But you know what happens? You know, my aunt and uncle, Claude McLean Lucille, up there at Escalon, California, they're gone now. They died around 100 years old and you know how long they've been married? 78 years. In fact, I was in Zambia, but it seems like they maybe even celebrated their 80th year. Now that's amazing. And you know what? When you looked at them in their 90s, they looked alike. They looked a lot alike. In fact, they looked so much alike, they looked like brother and sister. But guess what? You looked at their picture when Lucille was 16 and Uncle Claude was 16 and they married. They didn't look alike, did they? They didn't look alike at all. But after all those years of living together, of waking up together, of walking together, of going to church together, of traveling together, they started looking like each other. That's what it means, you see, they twain shall become one flesh. That's what that means. Now, Hannah lived in a bad situation. But even in spite of that difficult situation, she was, she was determined to make it work. Because she had in her heart a priority. And that priority was to be what she was supposed to be. To fulfill her job. To fulfill her responsibility. And she remained in that marriage and continued to do what she knew was right. Even though sometimes it was hard. Even though sometimes it seemed impossible. So it was year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah's commitment to the family took priority over her comfort in the family. Hannah's heart is grieved uh, physically, socially, and mentally. Her heart is broken into pieces, but she sticks to it. Now, sisters, what would you have done? What would you do? 
hard questions. Hard, hard questions. Another example. Abigail was married to a fool. <laughs> His name was Nabal, but that's what the word Nabal means, a fool. The servant came to Abigail and said that that scoundrel, and that means he was a son of the devil, the son of Belial. That scoundrel sent David's men on their way and they were sure that David was coming and going to take vengeance on that house. And sure what David was, David had a temper. <laughs> he sometimes got hot and this is one of the times that he got hot and the Bible says he told his green beret to put their swords on and they were charging down into the camp of Nabal and they were going to kill every man in that place. But Abigail was told by the servant what happened. Now, she knew what her husband was like. She might have, if it had been a modern scene, have thought, this is my opportunity. <laughs> David's going to get rid of him. I'm going to be free. Not what she did. Because she knew her responsibility was her family. So the Bible says she put some raisins together. She put some wine together. She put some other provisions together. She had her donkey saddled up and she headed in the direction and she met David in the way. Well, she changed David's mind. And you know what happened? Nabal had a stroke and died. And she became the wife of David. Now, in the back of her mind, she might have wanted that. But because she knew who she was, she knew what she was, she knew what God wanted, she was intending to do anything she could to stop the death of her family. And God turned it opposite. Now, your husband may not have a stroke and die, but I'll guarantee you, you're not going to ever regret making it work if you can. Now, it takes two to make it work. I understand that. And I know some situations cannot work. I'm going to tell you tonight. Hannah. Hannah had an attitude that you need, that I need, that my wife has. She put her commitment to the family above her personal comfort in whatever circumstance she faced. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a man-child, a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. Well, she tells the Lord, you give me the boy and I'm going to prepare him so well that he'll serve you all of his life. 
Now, I wonder how many of us would be willing to make a promise like that. Have you made a promise like that about your children? She said he's going to be a Nazarite. There are a lot of things about that that were not pleasant. But she made him a Nazarite before he's even born. Well, God heard her prayer. In fact, this brings us to the second point. Hannah's commitment was beyond her personal comfort. But secondly, every child needs a mother who wants, loves, and cares for her children. Is there anybody that loved her son more than Hannah? You know, it's interesting. Listen to this. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19, Samuel is... Uh, born, and of course, uh, Hannah conceives, and Samuel's born, and he's brought into this world. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. This is what they always did. They did this every year. This was the annual trip, the annual trek that they would make. And Hannah had gone with him year after year after year, but this year she chooses not to go. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then will I take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Praise God for Hannah's. I know a, a woman. She's not so young today, but she was when she made this decision. She was an electrical engineer and she worked for a computer company and had a six-digit income and when her first child was born she gave up that job because she felt like that her career would get in the way of her children she had four daughters they're all grown children today they love her as much as they love their own families she made a sacrifice it cost her dearly but she didn't regret a minute of it Hannah made a sacrifice she changed her life. She altered her life for her family. Now, sister, think about this. Are you willing to alter your life for your family? Are you willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary, even due to your own, your own sacrifice, your own life, so that your family can have and be what they need to be? Hannah was willing. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will go and I will leave him forever. Listen to me. In Titus chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, do you, I can just see Hannah. <laughs> she must have brought Samuel up on her knee and she must have said, oh son, you're so special to me. I long for the day that you were born. And every moment that I have with you is such a precious moment. You are my treasured joy. Do you ever tell your children that? You know, you don't have to tell your children I don't love you. 
God forbid that any woman in this assembly would ever do that. You don't realize how many people hurt in this world because their mama didn't love them. I knew a dad that told his son, I hate you. I wish you would have never been born and I've dreaded every day since you were here. That boy turned out to be a drug addict and just about as worthless. But you know what? You don't have to tell your kids that. All you have to do is every time they come home excited about something, push them away. All you have to do is make your life so important and so busy that you just don't spend much time with them. You don't help them with homework. You don't volunteer at school. You don't look at their grades. That's all you have to do. In fact, you can pat them on the shoulders and say, I love you. But if you don't spend the time with them that they deserve, they're not going to believe a word of it. You know what's, you know what's been discovered in studies? Uh, you know, Laura and I did daycare for seven years, and we took some classes. And it's, it's interesting some of the things we learned. One of the things that we were taught is in several psychological studies, it has been shown mathematically that if you spend five minutes with your child when that child is an infant, that saves you an hour when they're teenagers of heartache. Now think about that. Have you ever just turned the television on and said, watch TV? Is it possible the television is the babysitter? You know, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, I don't believe it's wrong for a woman to work. I don't believe that. In fact, when you read Proverbs 31, I don't see how in the world you can say that it's wrong for a woman to work outside the home. The problem with working outside the home is she has two jobs, two full-time jobs when she does that. And sometimes we as men, we don't understand that, and we make it harder for the sisters. But the point is, if you are consumed with everything except your family, then you've got to change something. You've got to change something. Hannah was willing to make whatever change was necessary so that her children would have the love that they needed. The Bible says that women are to be taught to love their children. Love is not something you feel. Love is not something you say. Love is something you do. Listen to me. Bible godly love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling or a romance. It's something, it's something that you do. It's, love, Bible love is a decision. Even when you don't feel like it, you love. Even when it hurts, you love. That's what Bible love is. That's the kind of love your child needs. That's the kind of love that should exist between a man and a woman. Listen. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 27, the Bible, speaking of the virtuous woman, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Do you hear what that says? That means she doesn't sleep till noon. She gets up and fixes a hot breakfast for her children. 
That means that when her children need clean clothes or need a band-aid, she's available to take care of that. Now you can ignore it if you want to. But that's a virtuous woman. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. First John chapter 3, verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's not wrong to say I love you, but your life, the actions must be behind that. Or those words become empty words. Well, the commitment, the love. Number three, every child needs a mother who is an example of loving God. Now, what does it mean to, to love God? What does it mean to be an example of loving God? Well, now, one thing is you ought to go to church. Don't send your children to church, but take them to church. Teach them how to have relationships with people in the church. Teach them how to select friends in the church. Listen to me, not everybody in the church is, 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 is uh, the, the kind of person necessarily you'll want your children to marry. You know, you should marry in the Lord. There's no doubt about that. There are passages that teach that. But listen to me, not everybody in the church is fit to be married. Sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. Now, how, how is Hannah an example of what it means to love God? How is it that she is that example? Look at this. She trusted God. She wanted a child, but she didn't give up even when she didn't get a child. She kept doing what she knew was right. Even if she never got a child, she would have kept right on. That's the kind of person she was. She was an individual that put God first. Is that the kind of person your children see in you? Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now think about this. Think about it. Maybe you come home a little bit tired. In fact, maybe you're more than a little bit tired. You're exhausted. And you can either go to church tonight or you can stay home. What do you do? Jesus said, seek me first. What are you telling your children when you miss the assembly? You see, attending church is not all there is to Christianity. But that's a very intricate part of it. Even how you sit in the assembly educates your children as to what you really believe in your heart about God. Listen to me, if you sleep while the preacher's preaching, <laughs> if you're ignoring what the preacher's saying, you're teaching your children to do that. You're teaching your children it's not that important. Hannah trusted God in her life. She trusted God every single day. She obeyed God. Whatever his voice said, that's what she obeyed. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 29, Now when she had weaned him, that is Samuel, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. 
And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And he said, O Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. Now you remember what happened when she's praying to the Lord. I didn't uh, talk about that when we read it. But, you know, she's praying in the temple. The Bible says her lips are moving, but there's no voice. And Eli sees her there and he says, you're drunk. You get out of here. Now, what's the point of all that? There are always going to be problems. And sometimes when you do the right thing, you're going to be accused of the wrong thing. Don't forget that. Don't just become disheartened. Don't become downtrodden. Don't expect people to appreciate you. Expect the Lord to appreciate you. You know, we're not serving each other. Now, it's true. If I'm serving God as I should, then I'm going to be willing to serve others. But even if others do not like me, I can please God. In fact, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Or they did the same thing with those false prophets. Think about it. <laughs> we serve the Lord. And we need to give him our all. And we need to de demonstrate that attitude with our children. Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Truly, she made a vow. She made a promise. She was given this son. And even while he's still young, when the time comes for her to fulfill her vow, she keeps it just to the letter. And this brings us to the fourth point. You see, every child needs a mother. Who was willing, who is willing and successful to give her son to the Lord? You see, while they serve you, while they're under the umbrella of your authority, it's easy to persuade your children. That is while they're in the house. But what you have to do is you have to prepare them for the day that when they leave your house, they're under God's care. And even though they're not in your house, even though they're not hearing your voice, even though they're out of your jurisdiction, they still serve the Lord. My mom said, you have to convince your children to do what you want them to do, and, that, and when you're done, they need to think it was their idea. And that's true. <laughs> that's true. Because you see, you're going to teach your children you're, every day that they live. Now remember this. It's hard for us to accept that. You know, we talk about the empty nest syndrome. It's hard to see our children leave. But the truth of the matter is, right now, while little Emma's so small and so precious, her parents need to be praying, Lord, help us to prepare for the day that Emma's grown. You need to be looking forward to that day. Not looking forward to the day because you want her to go, because you want her to leave your house, but because it's right. That's the design. But you know what happens sometimes? 
we wait till it's too late. And they don't have any relationship with the Lord. And when they leave our homes, they're ready to get out. They want to get away. They want to sow to the wind and they reap the whirlwind. All children will go through a rebellious stage, but if you have developed a relationship between them and the Lord, they'll have a conscience. Now, don't misunderstand me today. I don't have all the answers. And I know that if you're perfect, the devil's still real, and he's going he's gonna to do what he can to destroy your family. And sometimes I look at a man and his wife, and I think, what good people, and when their children grow up, they leave the church. I look at somebody else, maybe the dad's a drunkard, or maybe even the children were physically or sexually abused, and when they grow up, they're all faithful to the Lord. I don't understand all that. But what we're talking about is the pattern that God has given us. The pattern that Hannah has left for us. She decided before her son was born, I'm going to give him to the Lord. I'm going to lend him to the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to give him as a servant. And I, you know what happened? When she gave Samuel to the Lord, Israel, the nation of Israel changed. That old saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the nation. I'm telling you, this little girl right here, you don't have any idea where she's going to end up or what's going to happen in her life. It's like that passage we read last night in the book of Psalms. A great archer shoots his bow at a venture, and his hope is to shoot the air way beyond he can even see. And that's what's going to happen with these kids. So what's going to happen with these children? Our hope is they go beyond what we did. Do greater things than we did. And we're a part of that. Hannah changed the future of a nation. Hannah was able to influence people that she never saw or met through her son. And you can too. Sit your son down and say, son, why don't you become a preacher someday? Talk to him about what you think it might take to be a preacher. Get Brother Frank or some of the other leaders to come and talk to you and talk to him and tell him what he needs to do to prepare himself to be a preacher. Get him to thinking about the future. Teach your daughters to find a young man who's strong in the church and teach her how she can be an asset to that man in the church. Talk about these things. You need to teach your children how to marry. You need to talk about who they should marry. You need to talk about characteristics develop within their little minds what they really need. Because you wait till they find somebody, it's too late. You gotta start early. And that's what Hannah did. We need mothers like Hannah who are able to give their children
to the Lord. Now, how did she manage to do that? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Now, she had access to these words. Listen to this. And bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. How did she manage to do that? And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Listen to me. This verse is telling us that you do not develop this attitude in a day. It's daily. When you walk outside at night, you can talk about the Big Dipper. And you can go over there in the book of Job where it talks about the bear. That's the same constellation. And you can show them that Job lived 4,000 years ago. And he saw the same stars that God created. You can find when you're out for a walk a caterpillar inching along. You can get excited and get down with your little girl, your little boy, and you can say, look at here, look at this. This is a worm, but it's going to become a butterfly. You can teach them a lesson about transforming from a worm to a beautiful butterfly. You can take horses and teach your children. You can take paint and teach your children about God. That's what it's all about. That's what he's talking about. Practice what you know is right. And then when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up at every opportunity, in every situation, teach them that God is on your mind. That's what it's all about. But listen, we get so busy, we get so consumed with our lives, we fail to do that. There's not any of us. You know, I'm so thankful for Midland, Texas. You know, I was raised in a home where you work. You get up early and you work. You go eat lunch and you work afterwards. You work in the afternoon, you work at night. When you're tired, you work. Brother Art Eastman came to me when my son was about 16. He said, brother, we love you so much. We're so thankful that you live here. You've done so much work and you've helped us in so many ways, but please listen to me. You need to quit working so much. You need to spend some more time with your family. You need to take your son golfing. You need to take him fishing. We appreciate you, but you're working too much. Pretty hard to argue with that, wasn't it? I'm so thankful for Art. Maybe that really made a difference in our family. I don't know. I'm going to tell you something. If you want your children to love the Lord, 
It takes time. It takes years. It takes days upon days upon days of effort. And you can mold their life. I'm telling you, you can change their life. And they'll become what God wants them to become. And the potential in their lives is beyond anything we can imagine. If we give them the hope and the determination to go forth. Well, I preached too long already. We need to take our children to heaven. When you go to heaven, you're going to lose everything. Unless you take your family with you. What a reunion it'll be. I used to tell the people in Zambia, listen, if you'll obey the gospel, <laughs> if you'll serve the Lord, then in heaven someday, I'll introduce you to my grandchildren. That'd tickle them to death. That's the way it'll be. Whatever this life has, whatever we do in this life, it's not worth it if you lose your family. Our families are the most prized possessions of our life. And you need to take your children to heaven. In Proverbs 4, when I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the side of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words and keep my commands and live. Well, we talked about that last evening, so I'm gonna skip now toward the end. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You'll never regret whatever sacrifice you make for your family. And someday, if the Lord blesses you with many children, when you get old, you'll be praised. Every child needs a mother like Hannah, who had a commitment that took priority over her comfort in the family, who wants and loves and cares for her children, who is an example of what it means to love God, who is willing to give her children to God, who loved her husband, and that love was requited. Every child needs a Hannah for a mother. <laughs> you go home and read the story again. Read the story of Abigail. Read the story of Aquila and Priscilla. And you think about what kind of character they demonstrate for us, and you try to practice it. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want you to become one. Your mother wants you to become one. There'll be nothing like it when you get to heaven. You'll walk on a street of gold. You'll live forever. No pain, no sorrow, never being tired, never being weary. You'll be with Jesus 
You'll be with God the Father. You'll be with the Holy Spirit. You'll live forever in a mansion. <laughs> Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to get there? Well, you can. You obey the gospel. The Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being then made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Obey him today, and he'll save you. Come believing with all of your heart, repenting of your sins, confessing him before men, being buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins. If you're here and you've obeyed that gospel, but you've allowed your life to go away from Jesus, come back tonight. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. What a blessing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.